Ah, you can beat that. Give them hands a clap. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You may be seated this morning. We're so thankful that you're here. One announcement that I want to make personally, I didn't even put it up on the screen because I wanted to make it personal, an invitation from me to you. On September the 24th, it's a Saturday night at 11 o'clock at night, we're going to have what we call a midnight uh, hour, that the midnight hour service. And all it is is an invitation for you as a church. We're not necessarily inviting the community. If they come, they're more than welcome, of course. But this is more about the health of our church. There are many, many needs in the body of Christ. There are many that we've been praying for for a long, long period of time. And sometimes you just waller things. Sometimes you travail, you, inter you intercede, you supplicate. How many knows what I'm talking about? And there's times you feel like you're birthing something and that child's never going to come. That miracle's never going to happen. That situation's never going to change. That turnaround's not going to happen. We a lot of times go through those kinds of situations. We were out praying on a Monday night. I got a thing called Pastor's Porch where we got a group of men that pray. We sit out on the porch when the mosquitoes ain't bad and when the heat ain't bad. And if it's bad, we come inside. But we have a prayer meeting, and in that prayer meeting, the Lord began to lay it in my heart to have a midnight hour. And I second-guessed myself and questioned myself for some time before I ever even mentioned it to the other guys, and we've been talking it through. We got the ladies' prayer meeting praying about it, and we've been praying about it, and we just believe that God's gonna show up. You know, if we believe in divine healing, then we gotta have healing services. Wow, that's weak. I said, if we believe in divine healing, we have to have healing services. That's better. And we got, we got this service. It's gonna last, well, we, we got it designed to last an hour. It may last all night. Who knows when God gets involved. But we're gonna start at 11 o'clock. We're gonna have a little bit of worship. That's a surprise to our worship team. I ain't even talked to them yet. But uh, we will be talking to them. We're gonna have a little bit of worship, and then we're going right in. We got a speaker uh, Lord laid it on my heart to even have speak. Little Craig Reynolds is going to speak to us that night, and he's been studying, fasting, praying. He's going to bring the word. He's going to do a great job. And afterwards, we're going to have a good old-fashioned prayer line, and we're going to believe God for miracles for our people. And we believe there's going to be a turnaround at some of these people that's at their midnight hour. And we believe that God is going to do something phenomenal in this place. And we don't have to wait then to receive miracles, folks. But I'm just saying that Saturday night, uh, and, and those that are sick that, that where they can't come, you know what, don't feel guilty uh, because what we're going to do, you send somebody and we'll anoint them in your place. We'll give them a handkerchief that we'll pray over. We'll send it back to you. We're just going to do all that we know to do. Then we're going to stand and then we're going to let God do the rest. Can I have an amen? Are you in agreement with me here tonight? All right. Praise the name of the Lord. Last week we talked about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in relationship to the tribulation. We went and uncovered a lot of scripture. We went through the word of God in the end time. And then unknowingly, when we, we, we found out as we began to talk that week, but then Josh come right behind me and he preached uh, on the end times as well and brought some clarity about how that the uh, nations are, 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 are getting set up and prepared and the Gog and Magog and the Russian, all of that stuff. If you did not uh, 
uh, if you were not here, you need to get those tapes or you need to go online and watch those services and bring some clarity about some of the end time events. Now, this morning's message is going to be a little bit different than the style of preaching that I normally like to do. It could be a, kind of like a teaching, preaching, an educational type of thing. The Lord's laid upon my heart, so we're going to get right into it. But with everything that's going on within our world and with the evidence that we are living in what we call the great falling away period of the last days, we know that we're seeing that happen right before our eyes. The Lord laid a message on my heart this morning to take us back to our roots, to back to our beginning, and back to where we originated from as a people of God. I'm going to attempt this morning to give you a small summary of the beginning of the start of the church of God and how it's relevant to where we're at today as Pentecostal believers on the earth. It all started out in the year of 1884 with a man by the name of Richard G. Sperling and his son Richard Sperling Jr. and a man by the name of John Plemons. They studied the scriptures and they began to pray earnestly for the spiritual condition of the Baptist church that they were actually attending. They were hungry for renewal and they were hungry for revival in their church and they wanted to see God move within their community. Their community had their community had begun to digress and it had begun to become more dark and more sinful and these men just fell under a burden from the Lord and they knew that their church was not doing much to affect the society in which they lived. However, their passion for revival and reform was not shared by many of the other people in that mountain community of the border of North Carolina and Tennessee where they actually lived. In late summer of 1886, these three men met at a place called, in our history, Barney Creek Meeting House with a few other neighbors who did share their eagerness for spiritual renewal. And Sperling Sr., he stood up and he had a goal of establishing three things at the beginning of the start. He urged the group to form a Christian union that would, number one, reassert the authority of the scripture, number two, foster Christian unity in the community, and number three, restore the spiritual life of primitive Christianity. It was a sad day, but he believed that the churches in that area had lost these three things. And this was the cause for the deadness and the dryness and the formality that the church had found themselves in. Sperling in that meeting stood up and he gave a brief invitation to the folks that had came out. And this is what he said. As many Christians as are here present that are desirous to be free from all man-made creeds and traditions and are willing to take the New Testament or law of Christ for your only rule of faith and practice, giving each other equal rights and privilege to read and to interpret for yourself as your conscience may dictate and are willing to set together as the church of God to transact business as the same come forward. He gets up and he begins to invite them to form a church called the Christian Union at that time which became the church of God in which we're a part of. At that invitation nine individuals stepped forward to accept Sperling's invitation. And this was the beginning of the church of God. It started out with nine members and today it's almost nine million strong in 154 countries around the world. Can you give God praise of what God can do with a small beginning? 
Now, I want to tell you, just nine people is all it started with. The young church in its beginning became distinguished more by its passion for deeper spiritual walk with God than by a specific doctrine or by a specific belief or creed. A deep-seated conviction compelled this tiny group to continue to seek God for spiritual reform and spiritual revival. They literally had it in their hearts, we're not going to quit praying until something happens, until something moves, until something shakes, until something changes. We are set our face like a flint and we're not going to be moved from our goal and from our desire. They were specifically concerned about the spiritual and the moral laxity in the churches in that community and about the community itself because it was becoming dark and different things. There's a long list of things that was beginning to happen and they knew that if something did not turn around, their children were going to be lost. Their grandchildren were going to be lost. And can I say nothing has changed yet to this day. If nothing doesn't change, your children are going to be lost and your grandchildren are going to be lost and your great-grandchildren, your seed is going to be cut off from the wealth of salvation if something doesn't change with churches around America. Can I have an amen? But not only that, those who joined the church were people who were weary of traditional churches where there was no felt presence of God, they said. And were so-called conversion did not result in moral and spiritual transformation and where they were neither holiness of life nor was there any true real worship going on. They conformed, the people that came in, they just kind of conformed to traditions and certain principles, but without transformation, there was not a lot of change in their life. In 1990, they took a survey right here in America among the Protestant churches in America. And when they got done with that survey, it blew my mind, but over 70% of the people in the Protestant churches admitted that they have never felt the very presence of God. That is a shame and a disgrace to the church. You can't call yourself a church if God does not inhabit that church with his Holy Spirit. You're not having somebody help me preach here today. I'm about to get off and chase a rabbit here. I'm here to tell you it's time that we quit being a social club and be the church of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? Give the Lord praise. And can I say boldly with much passion, I believe this is where most of the churches are at in America. There is no felt presence. People, I'm meeting them every day, are so hungry. They're searching, they're looking, they're longing for something. Our nation is full of anxiety right now. It's full of fear. There's all kinds of worry and concern and people are fretting and people are wondering what in the world's going on. All over this country, there are people that are looking for something alive and something authentic and something real. Well, let me just stop and say that we at the Palace of Praise, we're going to be the real thing. Can I have an amen? We're going to be the church that they're going to be looking for. We're not backing down. We're not going to white worship. We're not going to water it down. We're going to preach the raw, pure gospel of Jesus Christ. They can call us freaks. They can call us the right hand conspiracy. They can call us whatever they want to call us. But I'm here to tell you there's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ who died and gave himself for us upon the old rugged cross and he rose the third day and he sits at the right hand of Father to make intercessory for the saints. He's King of kings. He's Lord of lords. There's none like unto him. He is very much alive and well and he's not elusive and he's not in hiding and he can be felt and he can be experienced right here this day, this morning. 
Hallelujah. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. But the church back then had steeped, stepped into the arena of formality. It, it had lost its cutting edge because it lost the spirit. It may have had everything perfectly positioned and organized, planned and programmed, but there was one thing it lacked. It lacked spirit, it lacked life, and it lacked vitality. The early church had lost the love of the word and the concept of the authority of the scripture. It had lost its need for the fellowship with the saints and the importance of church attendance, and it lost its worship. Can I just stop right there? I can't preach on all of those points, but let me tell you one of the most vital things that you gotta do when you come into this place is that you gotta come into this place and not just stand and sit there and watch everybody else sing. You got to worship. God inhabits the praises of his people. God loves us to worship. He seeks a congregation that will worship him in spirit and in truth. You want a live church? Then worship saints. Sing. Come into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise and magnify the name of the Lord. But this church has lost its need for that kind of worship. And as a result, there was spiritual and moral decay, not only in the church, but in the community. Apathy, lukewarmness, slothfulness, and skepticism plagued and ruled and reigned within the church back in those days. The church set the tone for the condition of society because it was the light, the seal, the safeguard. It's the watchman of the city. When the church deteriorates, let me say this, 100% of the time, the society will deteriorate around it. You don't understand how important we are. You don't understand. You take churches out of Papa Bluff, and I want you watch the deterioration of the community. Wherever there is a strong community, there will always be at least one and more um, leading strong spiritual churches. It is the church that makes the difference in the society. It sets the moral tone. Can I have an amen? The early pioneers were burdened to change that by seeking God and getting presence back into the church. They begin to seek for renewal, revival, and spiritual reform in the church. And what this small crowd hungered for did not happen until 10 years later in 1996. They started seeking the Lord earnestly on several days a week, hours a week, and it did not happen for 10 solid years. In 1896, a revival broke out near Camp Creek, North Carolina, in a place called Shear Schoolhouse. God began to pour out his Holy Spirit there. There were three visiting evangelists who preached on the joys of a transformed and sanctified life. That was their messages. Evangelists William Martin, Joe Tipton, and Milton McNabb preached each night. Night after night, the altars filled with seekers who were hungry to experience this message they were preaching on sanctification of heart. Mountain folk from near and far crowded this one-room schoolhouse in search of a closer walk with God. As people begin to seek for sanctification, God began to do phenomenal things among them. One night, as one of the evangelists began preaching, this is what kicked it off, he invited seekers to a long-extended prayer meeting around a homemade altar that he had made. Our history tells us, as a result of this long-extended prayer time that they had, they begin to seek God, and then God begin to really show up. Can I tell you, the Bible says if you'll ask, 
you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it shall be open unto you. I'm here to tell you that God is just as much interested in touching us as us touching him. And I want you to know God wants to be with you more than you want to be with him. God is ready to receive us here today, to receive us and to bless us and transform us and change us, ignite us, edify us, encourage us, heal us, give us whatever we have need of. Our Heavenly Father wants to give good gifts unto us who call out unto his name. Can I have an amen? Those meetings that began to happen were unconventional. It wasn't programmed to fit a certain procedure or protocol or some kind of a tradition. It was more dependent upon the spontaneity of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And if there's one thing we need in this church, it's just the Holy Spirit to be Lord of the church. And when he gets ready to do, stop whatever our procedure is, whatever our order of service is, put it aside. We need the spontaneity, the Holy, we need the break of the Holy Spirit in the church. Unusual things begin to happen at Camp Creek. Worshippers express the felt presence of God through weeping, moanings, groanings, shoutings, and, un- and other unusual forms of spiritual ecstasy. Laughter, laughing in the spirit, dancing in the spirit, and trances were common things that happen on a regular basis. Everybody says, well, you're getting weird now. We can handle certain of those manifestations, but when you start talking about trances, well, trances begin to happen. I know for a fact, folks, uh, that the book of Acts talks about trances that begin to happen in the early church. And I'm here to tell you, we're not going to deny anything that comes that as long as it's biblical and as long as it's scripture, I'm ready to see something that's beyond the norm, something outside of the box, something I've never seen. I want to see God be God and me be just somebody who believes in whatever he says. If God said an ant swallowed Jonah, I would believe it. Can I have an Amen. Miracles and healings begin to take place and people were heard speaking in tongues all over the place. The manifestation of people being slain in the spirit, falling under the power of God was no uncommon thing. The move of God got public attention, of course. When the surrounding communities began to hear about all this so-called spiritual manifestations that they had never seen before, they began to come out by the masses. It got people's curiosity up and they came from far and wide. They came traveling for miles and miles and miles on foot in horse, buggy, mules. They begin to come through the hollers in the woods. And matter of fact, over and over and over, I'm not going to try to read, uh, tell you everything that I've read about our history, but as people would cut through logging roads to take shortcuts down to where this little schoolhouse was at, all of a sudden they'd come upon groups of people slayed in the spirit, moaning and groaning and travailing and speaking in tongues. And others would be sitting by a tree weeping and crying, reading their Bible. And as they approached the revival, God would just begin to move upon them out there in that woods before they ever even got to the revival. That happened for months at a time. And all of a sudden when they arrived, those hungry God-seeking believers could not even explain to them what was going on.
going on. Spurling and, uh, and uh, oh, uh, Pimmons uh, could not tell them why it was happening. So this caused Pastor Spurling to call the people into a study of the New Testament uh, for answers. He said, man, I don't understand this stuff. I don't know what it is. I've never experienced it. I've never seen it. I've never heard of it. So these people are asking what in the world's going on. He said, I have to have some biblical answers to it. So he called for a Bible study. As they studied, they discovered the same power and presence of the Holy Spirit that they were experiencing was the same thing that experienced in the book of Acts that they were told not to read because it was unrelevant because that was for the early apostles only. So they didn't never really read that much about it. The book of Acts brought clarity and confirmation to the different signs and manifestations of the Spirit that they were experiencing. And what was important to this young church was that their experience of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit was repeating what God had done in the apostolic church. It was confirming what was going on there by the scripture. Can I have an amen? These Pentecostals were committed Christians who hungered for God's spiritual presence. Spirituality to them, it was not a buzzword. It was not some technique or feel-good experience giving intimacy with living, giving intimacy with the living God apart from the spiritual disciplines of prayer, obedience, and a full life of commitment. Can I tell you, they didn't just come in, oh, I just love you, Lord, and then go out and sin. That was not the kind of religion they had. It was done out of passion, hunger, zeal, desire, and fire. They understood that true spirituality is not a fad, but a way of life that is grounded in eternal truth. It was fostered by the holiness of heart and not by just desire or emotion or by feeling. They did not chase feeling, they chased God. Amen? These Pentecostals were unequivocally in their convictions that spiritual experience must always be critiqued by objective norms of the scripture. Did you hear that? Let me read it again. These Pentecostals were unequivocally in their conviction that spiritual experience must always be critiqued by the objective of the norms of the scripture. However, they also believe that a viable theology cannot be devoid of meaningful experience. Oh, hallelujah. Some of you are looking at me like a, 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 a cow staring at a new gate. Let me, let me put it this way. They believe the word was alive, therefore truth and sound doctrine will always produce life. Amen? Amen? Matter of fact, John 6, 63, Jesus said, the words I speak unto you, they're spirit, they're life. Can I tell you, how many knows that the word of God is sharper and quicker, powerful than a two-edged sword? Can I have an amen? Hallelujah. Theology that is not confirmed by authentic religious experience is not likely to have much vitality or staying power. As a matter of fact, Paul said, those that have a form of godliness but they deny the power thereof, turn away from them. Can I have an amen? He said, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They'll cast out devils. They'll speak with new tongues. And they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall, be, uh, it shall not hurt, harm them. Matter of fact, theology that's not confirmed by this uh, religious experience, it's not going to have any power. The truths of evangelical faith may remain true and unshakable, but still lack vitality because of a lack of the Spirit. Let me explain what I mean. What we know intellectually 
may be doing very little to shape our lives or transform our communities. You say, well, what do you mean? We have been criticized around here for preaching an experiential gospel. They always say, y'all are always preaching an experiential gospel. However, a gospel that isn't alive, one that cannot move you, change you, stir you, empower you, is not a gospel worth preaching. Can I have an amen? The gospel that I'm preaching to you is not about a dead God, but he's a living God that wants to be a part of your life. Can I have an amen? Unless truths are authenticated and set aflame by the Holy Spirit, they generate no spiritual power or an effective witness. What God reveals to us in Scripture contains mental communication that's indispensable to our Christian life, no doubt about it. But the Bible emphasizes more than what one can know about God through his mental or intellectual capabilities. I can read the Bible all I want, but I'm not gonna get the fullness of who God is by just trying for me to figure him out by the written word in pages. Only through the agency of the Holy Spirit, who's the author of the Bible, can we actually be introduced to God and come to know him. Because he's the enlightener, he is the revelator, he is the teacher, he is the leader that guides us into all truth. The work of the Holy Spirit will always only bring light to the revelation given in scripture and he serves to prepare our hearts to respond, to embrace the word and come to know God by the enlightenment of his illuminating power. The word is authenticated in those who are empowered by the spirit to perceive that authentication. What does that mean? For example, sugar is sweet whether we taste it or not, isn't it not? How many thinks that sugar is sweet? It is sweet regardless if you taste it or not, but its sweetness is authenticated only to those who taste and see that it's sweetened. Amen? Blue is blue regardless of the trustworthy of our own sight, but the color blue is only authenticated for those who can see blue. Amen? The word is true whether we believe it or not, but the truth is only authenticated and come alive in our minds and hearts and myths only by the revelation illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. John Calvin said this, the word itself has not much certainty with us unless it is confirmed by the testimony of the Spirit. For the Lord has set established a kind of mutual connection between the certainty of his word and his Holy Ghost. So that our minds are filled with a solid reverence for the word when by the light of the spirit we are enabled to behold the face of God. And on the other hand, we gladly receive the spirit when we recognize him in his image that is in the word. The Holy Spirit, my friend, works in two ways. I'm going slow, I'm gonna teach a little bit. He works externally through the inspired written word of God and he works internally as the illuminating, convincing spirit. The majesty of God is in his word. How many knows that the majesty of God is spelled out in the word? But we can't see his majesty unless the Holy Spirit reveals him to us. There are so many deep things in the word unless the spirit reveals them to us, we'll never know. The Holy Spirit births the things of the word in our hearts. Matter of fact, in Titus 3 and 5, that's what the work of regeneration is all about. 
not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration. And what else? By the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. The living witness of the Spirit is a safeguard against the dangers of what we call spiritual authoritarianism. Now, that's a hard word to say, and I don't know if I say it completely correct. But it means it safeguards the Scripture from being perceived as a private interpretation as if one person or denomination has all the authority of what it says. Let me stop right here and say, anybody that tells you that their church, that their little group is the only ones going to heaven, it's a cult. There is only one way to heaven, it's through Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you, Baptist folks get people to heaven. I said Baptist folks gets people to heaven. Presbyterian folks gets people to heaven. Come on, somebody. We Pentecostals don't have a, 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 seal, on the, a seal on the word of God. Can I have an amen? That's why that Peter said in 2 Peter 1, 21, 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake. How did they speak? As they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. I love that. This then therefore seals the fact that the author of the scripture, the Holy Spirit, therefore is the only one that can reveal the content of what is written. Amen? And the content of the scripture not being of a private interpretation. This is why the first John 2.27 says, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you and ye need not that any man teach you but as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it is taught you, you shall abide in him. Now that's a mouthful. Let me just kind of break it down, what he's saying. This is where the double demand of scripture comes in, and you have to rightly divide the word of truth. All through the scriptures we are told that we need teachers and preachers and mentors, and we're to submit ourselves over unto them. We even have what we call the five-fold ministry. We got the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. And we're to submit to the people that have authority over us according to the word of God. This scripture is not giving us a license to be independent from the body of Christ. But he's telling us that the Holy Spirit will reveal the truth of the word and confirm to us of whether or not the teachers and the mentors are teaching us truth. Amen? You don't just take somebody's word for it. You find out what the Holy Spirit has to say about it. No man has a private interpretation of scriptures and our teachers and our mentors are to spark interest in the word of God to us and then we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word. There are too many people living out their faith by what their preacher says and not what's been confirmed in their heart by the Holy Ghost. All the time, people ask me questions and, and want answers for certain things. And when I give them answers, I hope that they go study the scripture and the Holy Spirit confirms to them that what I'm saying is true. Because no matter what I say to them, if the Holy Spirit doesn't authenticate it to them, they've only become indoctrinated, but they never really become a true believer in that which has not been authenticated in their heart. So therefore, they live powerless from the true belief of what they confess that they say they believe. You cannot believe something just at the word of a preacher. 
Can I have an amen? Preachers and teachers are to confirm the word to us. We always talk about prophecies, how important they are. But I want to tell you something. 99.9% of the time, there's not always 100% rule. But if someone prophesies over you, they're prophesying over you to give you edification and also confirmation of that which you've already known. I've had a million prophecies over me, and I don't pay attention to any of them unless God's already been dealing with me in that area. And then as something comes up, I'll look back and I'll say, oh, I remember a prophecy. And then I'll begin to investigate that prophecy. And then I'll begin to apply it to my life. And I'll begin to say that man of God was right. And all of a sudden, it'll bring clarification of that which I'm about to experience. Can I have an amen? Even as the Spirit is a safeguard against the dangers of scriptural authoritarianism, even so, listen to this, the objective truth of the revealed word of God regards us against the excess of subjectivity. What in the world does that mean? The authority of the written word can never be rightly contradicted or superseded. There's been a lot of stupid, weird, ignorant stuff said and done among Pentecostals out of emotion that was no more of the spirit than a man on the moon. Woo! Aren't you glad I said that? Can I tell you, the authority of the written word can never be rightly contradicted or superseded. This does not mean, however, that the Spirit of God no longer speaks to us, but that which he does speak will always line up, match, and never contradict the written word of God. It is the supreme authority. The very heart of our Pentecostal worship is a sense of living in the presence of the Holy Spirit and being led by that same Spirit. Steve Land, which is one of our Church of God theologians down in Cleveland, this is what he said. Experience is vital in knowing the truth, for truth is not merely propositional, it's personal. I thought, wow, guys, you think about that. French Arrington, who was a Pentecostal Bible scholar, this is what he said. Pentecost see knowledge not as a process of coming to know knowledge by the recognition of a set of precepts, but as a relationship with the one who has established the precepts by which we live. The teachings of Scripture remain ambiguous until the Holy Spirit, who searches even the deep things of God in 1 Corinthians 2 and 10, and illuminates and reveals to us, illuminates the human understanding to the mysteries of the gospel. However, the written word of God brings validation to the knowledge that we have received through our relationship and through our human experience. Therefore, the origin of our knowledge finds its roots in the scripture itself. Therefore, the believer knows God as Adam knew Eve, and he comes to know God through the, his Christian walk in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. His belief then is not merely an intellectual acceptance of precepts, but it is a live response to his live relationship with the Spirit of God as he studies the Word of God. As a result, the believer comes to the understanding, the Word of God, only in his relationship with its illuminating author, the Spirit of God. I hope you understood all of that. Some of the most tormented people on earth are those that have sound doctrine in their head but they do not have a relationship of the Holy Spirit that authenticates it to where they can walk it out. Amen? Something not walked out is not believed. 
He that has this hope purifies himself even as he's pure. That's what the Bible says. It's not good enough that we become biblically smart. We must become spiritually pure. We must not just be indoctrinated. We got to be regenerated. We must not just be taught. We got to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Lord said to me this week, he said, I want to authenticate Pentecost for you more than you want it for yourself. I was out there praying and I was with somebody and I was just, just praying, God, let the Holy Ghost fall on the church, dance fire upon the heads of the people. Let us begin to have those old manifestations of the book of Acts. Let the apostolic anointing fall on each and every member. I'm just praying my heart out and the Holy Spirit says, I want to authenticate Pentecost more than y'all want to be authenticated. The word authenticated means sound or done with authority, reliable as a source of information, genuine, true, trustworthy, real, and sure. God's looking for something that is reliable, trustworthy, real, sure, true, and something that can pack authority with it. That's what he wants the church to be. He, as he spoke to, to me, the Holy Spirit began to say, Pentecost is real, it's sure, it's reliable, it's trustworthy, and it does have authority. But then he said, what authenticates it? And he brought me back to what Frank Charrington said. When as the word of God, even though the word of God is true, whether we believe it or not, yet the truth of the word can only be authenticated in our hearts, minds, and souls, and spirit by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Then Pentecost, he says, even though it's real and it's true, it can only be authenticated by experiencing it. Amen? There are all kinds of people who say, I believe in Pentecost. My grandma was a Pentecost. My grandpa was a Pentecost. But they're not Pentecostal themselves in action indeed. I want to tell you, folks, it's one thing to believe in something. It's another thing to be able to have the joy of living it out, having it, possessing it. Can I have an amen? I don't want you to believe something just because Kent Miller says it. I want you to believe something because when I preach, it confirms to you the truth that you already know. And by the authentication of that word, you receive it on the basis of faith. And the power of experience comes into your life to embrace that, that the word has declared to be true over your life. Oh, I wish I could say that again. Hallelujah. God is saying, I want to authenticate Pentecost in your midst. He's saying, I want, to, I want you to experience the move of the Holy Spirit. He just doesn't want us to believe it is true. He doesn't just want us to talk about it, read about it, preach about it, he, declare it. He wants us to experience it. Amen? Pentecost will never be authenticated in proper love by just proclaiming it we must believe it and we must live it out and experience it. He isn't looking for people who believe in the Holy Spirit intellectually. He's looking for people who are filled with the Spirit. He isn't looking for a church who believes in Pentecost. He's looking for a church that will be Pentecost. Amen. Are you listening to me? If what we say and believe is different than what we do, then we truly do not believe in what we say. Amen. Because it has not been authenticated in our spirit to put it to action. Even as our early fathers in 1886 were hungry for a move of God, they didn't get what they were looking for for 10 solid years of seeking the Lord. The 120 that went up into the upper room, they were there for 120 days. And I want to tell you, this thing of seeking is a very important thing. This church is going to have to start getting a hunger, a thirst, a desire for the things of God and seek Him. It's the only hope of our nation. And matter of fact, Hebrews 11 and 6 says, but without faith it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And matter of fact, Matthew 5 and 6 is blessed are those that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. 
I can remember when I was a young man going to church at seven years old and got saved. I remember some revivals way back then where, where they literally carried kids out Sometimes at 11 and 12 o'clock at night speaking in tongues. They put them in the car and they spoke in tongues all the way home. They put them in bed and they were still speaking in tongues of the wonderful, blessed experience of the bad. People say, now that's, that's fanatic. No, it's not. That's real. Do I have anybody that will believe with me in the old time Pentecost again? Can I have an amen? testimony after testimony of the early days where people would fall under trances and see things and they would go and they would reveal it to people and the people wouldn't believe it until it happened and then they would authenticate the word of God and fear would follow in whole communities and whole communities would give their heart and life to Jesus Christ. You want to see that? The only thing that's going to reach Papa Bluff, you cannot legislate righteousness. You can put everybody that is holy into the White House and you can't legislate righteousness. That righteousness has to come by the way of the Holy Spirit as it burns in men's and women's hearts and souls and they're set aflame by the Holy Spirit for themselves and they embrace that which has been spoken to be true and they rise up and they live it out in divine action and they have the ability and the authority and the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ as his body and they begin to speak as the oracles of God and they become a living epistles of the written word of God and they declare this saith the word of the Lord and when they speak there's power in their mouths and there's anointing in their spirits and there's manifestations of the Holy Spirit of God following them. God working them with signs and wonders and miracles confirming his word. What's that? That's just a war hooper saying, I enjoy this. Would you stand with me, please? Oh. The Holy Spirit comes in so many different ways, but the sacred must become more than the secular. The spiritual must become more than the carnal. The spirit must become more than the flesh. The war that we are to fight for our country, the land that we're to possess, the city that we're to win, the nation that we're to affect, none of these things can happen until we get serious with God and receive a fresh touch of his presence. The early church was tired of formalism, traditionalism, where there was no felt presence of God. Nowadays, you got churches that can't feel God or experience God unless they're in a little bitty, bitty, tiny box. Unless you don't sing page 333, I'll fly away, they can't feel God. That's all they know about God is a song. I'm not trying to be cruel, but that's, that's how much we've matured. The church is the last thing to change on earth. It's not contemporary enough to keep up with the times to win a, a generation that has run off and left us and they can't even identify with our world. I remember we was putting on a play some years ago called Detroit Louis, and it talked about the soot of a chimney. And my boy said, what's that mean? Our language has even changed because as experiences change and ways of life and cultures change, th th things change. We gotta have the Holy Spirit to illuminate us to win a lost and dying world. The church was tired of so-called conversions without spiritual and moral transformation. I'm not trying to be mean, but when a man comes down and he gives his life to the Lord at Calvary, 
If it's a true conversion, when he gets up, his walk and his speech and everything about him will change. Amen? There's change in a person that gets saved. Hallelujah. Are we going to revert back and become the church prior to 1886? Are we going to be the church that will wait for the 19, or 1896 to happen? I believe God wants to do some phenomenal things amongst us. The Holy Spirit works in mysterious ways. I've been in a lot of Pentecostal services. I remember a dear friend of mine, name's J.D. Richardson Sr. He's passed away now. He was a scholar in his own right. A tremendous man of God anointed, knew the biblical prophecy like the back of his hand. Called to ministry on May the 14th, 1948, the very same day that Israel became a nation, he was called to preach prophecy. And he was one of the most powerful preachers and prophecy you've ever met in your life. And he was in a service with T.L. Lowry. T.L. Lowry was one of our, what we called weird evangelists. Very dominant, very known, very popular throughout our denomination. And uh, he was a man that signs and wonders just was with him. And one night they were having a service and Brother Richard was telling me about it. And he said they were coming up by the hundreds Brother Lowry would lay his hands on them and boom, they'd fall out. And he said, I was a catcher. I was catching them, dragging them out of the way, catching them, dragging them out of the way. And he said, the more they came up, the more it happened. The more they came up, the more it happened. And finally he said, now this has got to be a little bit, some of this is emotionalism. All this ain't, everybody ain't getting slain in the spirit. And he said, Brother Lowry was probably, he said that to himself. He didn't say it to no one else. And he said, Brother Lowry was about 50 yards, uh, 50 feet away from me. And he just stopped and looked at me and said, oh, we got a little bit of doubt, do we? Boop. He just pointed his finger at him. He said, the next thing I know, I woke up underneath the pile an hour later. The power of God hit him, knocked him flat on his back. Dulcie Reed went to the Assembly of God here, and he met me, and he said, you church of God? And I said, yeah, I'm church of God. Man, I knew a church of God minister. Said, me and my wife went to a camp meeting. His name was T.L. Lowry. Said, man, he called out for the sick. My wife was sick. Said, we got out. We didn't even make it down the hall. Both of us went out. She was totally healed by the power of Almighty God. We always hear about the good old tent days of Oral Roberts and all the miracles that took place. Well, I'm here to tell you our history's fixed to write about the good old times at the Palace of Praise on 1400 Herschel Boulevard. I'm going to invite you this morning, if you're hungry, for a move of God. I just want you to lift your hands. I just want you to come stand in His presence, kneel in His presence, do whatever you want to do. And I just want you to seek Him this morning for a moment. Say, oh God, would you do it again? And this begin, this starts the beginning of your search. It cannot be the end. They sought for 10 years before they got it, folks. I don't think we have to seek for 10 years. I don't know, but God will fall on you. Say, God, I want it. I'm hungry. How many is hungry with me here today? To turn back to our roots and not be ashamed of who we are. Unequivocally, we're Pentecostal. 
Say, I'm hungry, Lord. I'm thirsty, Lord. I'm barren, Lord. I'm unfruitful, Lord. Oh, God, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm saved, but I want more. Those of you that want more, would you not come? Are you hungry? Oh, yeah, there's more here that's hungry than this. Don't be ashamed to come around. I know it's a holiday. Let's take a few moments to, now just love him, worship him, seek him. Say, God, pour it on me. Change who I am. Let me experience, God, those things that the early church had. I want, I desire. You told me to seek for the earnest of gifts. I want them. Oh, Holy Spirit. Help us, God. Spirit move over your congregation. In the mighty name of Jesus right now, God, I pray over this congregation. I pray that you'll set us a flame of fire. I pray that the Holy Ghost will touch each and every one of us unequivocally, pass no one by. Let every ounce of sickness, disease be done away with. God, bring healing, miracles, bring signs, wonders, deliver from fear, deliver from anxiety, deliver from oppression, God, deliver from God, possession, whatever is here, God. I pray for liberty among your people. I pray, God, for the Holy Spirit. God, I ask you to minister to this body in a special way, God. I pray that we would know you not just intellectually, not just doctrinally, but God, we would know you by the experience of the Spirit for ourselves, that you would authenticate the moves of God in our lives, that we would not be skeptical of the move of God, but we would be recipients of all that you got for us. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus right now. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, Lord. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, just like on the day of Pentecost when you came, Lord, and you sent your Holy Ghost, Lord, like a rushing mighty wind, I pray right now for a wave of the Holy Ghost to flood through this place right now, God, Lord. Lord, we are not gonna be complacent. We are not gonna settle for less, but Lord, we are we are expecting more. We are coming with a spirit of expectation into this house, Lord. We enter your gates with thanksgiving and praise God on our lips, God, Lord. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, we thank you for Barney Creek, Lord. We thank you for Shear Schoolhouse, Lord. We thank you for Azusa Street, but Lord, Lord, we thank you for what's coming, God, Lord, because we know what's coming, God, is going to be greater than anything that this world has ever seen, God, Lord. Lord, we are believing in a revival, God. We are believing in a revival that you are going to send, yet the power of your Holy Ghost is going to come, Lord, and then, Lord, your Son is going to come, Lord, that, Lord, the rapture of the church will come, but, Lord, before that comes, Lord, many souls shall be saved, Lord. Many souls shall be set free, God, Lord. Many people shall be sanctified. Many people shall be baptized in the Holy Ghost, Lord. Lord, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, Lord, miracles, signs, and wonders, Lord. Lord, I pray right now for an apostolic anointing to be upon this congregation, Lord. That, Lord, when we lay our hands on the sick, they shall recover, God. That, Lord, when we lay our hands on the blind, they shall recover sight. When we lay our hands on the, on the deaf, they shall receive their hearing, God. Lord, we pray right now, Lord, that we will be living epistles, read of all men, Lord. That when they look at us, when they come into the palace of praise, Lord, when they see us and the power of the Holy Ghost working through us, God, that, Lord, 
Lord, they will know that this is real. This is authentic, Lord. This is what the Scripture says, that, Lord, the, the Scripture will be authenticated through our lives, Lord. And, Lord, I declare right now, Lord, by the power of the Holy Ghost, Lord, that you have your way in this place. Breathe your breath, Lord. Let the wind of the Holy Ghost come in this place, Lord. Let miracles, signs, and wonder follow us, God, Lord. In your name, we shall cast out demons. In your name, we shall speak in new tongues, Lord. And in your name, God, Lord, that we shall, if we drink anything deadly, it shall not harm us, Lord. If we handle any deadly serpent, it shall not harm us, Lord. For we have power and authority over the enemy, Lord. And we declare right now, Lord, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. That we are walking in the manifestation season, Lord. That we declare health, healing, and wholeness, Lord, over this city, this community, this state, this nation, and this world, Lord. That, Lord, this is, the earth is yours and the fullness thereof, God. And, Lord, we declare right now by the power of the Holy Ghost, Lord, that we walk with a real apostolic anointing in Jesus' name. Spirit is a perfect gentleman. He'll not embarrass you. He'll not give you anything you don't want. He'll not give you anything you don't ask for. He'll not intrude your life. He's got to be a welcome guest. I remember Barbara Gerald, who happens to be John Gerald's mother. That's my home church, and she was there. She gave out testimonies about when she sought for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She's seen all of the people who were speaking in tongues and she desired it, but she, for some reason, couldn't open up and really get into seeking for it in a public arena. 
So she'd go home and she'd be discouraged after seeking the Lord at an altar. She'd go home and one night she just at home began to seek the Lord in her bedroom. And it wasn't long to where Dean, her husband, thought something just changed in that bedroom. Holy Ghost hit her and she began to be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And the Lord has given her a spirit of laughter ever since that day. And now it's odd, you'll be in a church service with her and she'll just break out laughing and that thing's contagious. Man, the Holy Spirit will use her and she's bold now. She ain't afraid of anything. She'll lay hands on people and she's a woman of results. We're not all the same. We all have different personalities and God works with us differently. The way I receive may not be the way you receive. It's okay, but seek him. Don't be afraid. He even said, if you ask for an egg, am I gonna give you a scorpion? If you ask for a piece of bread and the place of a piece of bread, am I gonna give you a shirt? Come on. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will God give the Holy Ghost to them that ask? He'll give it to you. I love the gentleness and the perfect gentleman the Holy Spirit is. But you can only have truths authenticated to you to be valid truths not by what you hear from a preacher, but what you hear from a preacher that's confirmed by the witness of the Spirit. Amen? The Spirit has to move upon you. You have to have a relationship with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And I'm asking this church to go into a season of seeking Him like on Wednesday nights. We come and our prayer time is good at times and other times I'll be honest. We're not praying like God wants us to, we're failing him. Prayer can be hard at times, it's not all emotional. It's, it's a work, it's a chore to pull in, get in, root down. We gotta learn to pray, seek, knock, ask, travail, intercede, supplicate, want, desire. We gotta keep going like that woman that went before the unjust judge. Every day, every day, just keep knocking. I'll be giving you a testimony. I was going to give it today and the Holy Spirit checked me because I'm going to be preaching hopefully a sermon next Sunday and I'll be able to share what's going on in my little life. And I'm telling you, I'm a little excited about what some news we got that's rays of hope. God's on the move, folks. He's, our nation's not gone. Everybody thinks it's gone. It's not gone. As long as we're here, it's not gone. We're the, we're, we're the game changers. Amen.